quite beautiful, very poetic, and uh, full of potency, even though it's not easy to chant. But it's, it's very wonderful. Do the word for word, please repeat. Tat, then, Vishwaguru, by the teacher of the universe, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Arikritam, predominating, Bhuvana, of the planets, Eka, alone, Nandyam, worthy to be worshipped, Divyam, Spiritual. spiritual. What is your name, Divya? Spiritual. Well, working for it. Yeah. It's, it's worth aspiring for. Vichetra. Highly decorated. Vibhuda Argya. Of the devotees. Who are the best of the learned. Vimana. Of the airplanes. So Chihi illuminated, Apahu attained, Param the highest, Mudam happiness, Apurvam unprecedented. When we had Apurva here cooking, uh, what was that last summer or the summer before? The uh, he was cooking very nicely, but the way he messed up the kitchen was unprecedented. <laughs> Apurva, unprecedented. Upeja, having attained. Yoga Maya, by spiritual potency. Balina, by the influence. Munuyaha, the sages. Tat, Vaikunta, Ato, that, Vikuntam, Vishnu. Translation, by His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada. Thus the great sages, Sanaka, Sanatana, Sanandana, and Sanatkumar, upon reaching the above mentioned Vaikunta in the spiritual world, by dint of their mystic yoga performance, perceived unprecedented happiness. They found that the spiritual sky was illuminated by highly decorated airplanes, piloted by the best devotees of Vaikuntha, and was predominated by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Please repeat. Thus the great sages Sanaka Sanatana, Sanandana and Sanatkumar, Upon reaching the above mentioned Vaikuntha in the spiritual world, by dint of their mystic yoga performance, perceived unprecedented happiness. They found that the spiritual sky was illuminated by highly decorated airplanes piloted by the best devotees of Vaikuntha and was predominated by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. The Supreme Personality of Godhead 
is one without a second. He is above everyone. No one is equal to him, nor is anyone greater than him. Who knows the Sanskrit for that? Who said that? Started off. Somebody just said it. Started off. No, no, someone just said the word. Asamordha. That's right. That's it. Somebody knew the answer. Very good. Asamordva. It means that no one is equal to him, no one is greater than him, and everyone is below him. He makes everyone else insignificant because of his greatness, the personality of God. No one is equal to him, nor is anyone greater than him. Therefore, he is described here as Vishva Guru. Vishva means universe. Guru, the teacher or the spiritual master. He's the spiritual master of everyone. Therefore, he's Vishva Guru. He is the prime living entity of the entire material and spiritual creation and is Bhuvanaika Vandya, the only worshipable personality in the three worlds. That's bad news for um, those who like to worship ordinary living entities or ghosts or spirits. Some people worship Donald Trump. There was one picture online of some Indian Brahmana and he had a picture of Trump and he was doing a puja. <clears throat> so some, some kind of Brahmin that is, you know, just a big mudha. So, um, but the Lord is worthy of everyone's worship. Bhuvanaika Vanya, the only worshipable personality in the three worlds. The airplanes in the spiritual sky are self-illuminated and are piloted by great devotees of the Lord. Like sometimes here in the morning, we see the airplanes come flying over. We see a light on the horizon and it's growing bigger and bigger and bigger. So you know it's not one of the planets or the stars. But the airplanes in the spiritual sky are self-illuminated. They just, they don't have like spotlights and electric generators. They just glow. They're self-illuminated. And they're piloted by great devotees of the Lord. In other words, in the Vaikuntha planets, there is no scarcity of the things which are available in the material world. They are available, but they are more valuable because they are spiritual and therefore eternal and blissful. The sages felt an unprecedented happiness because Vaikuntha was not predominated by an ordinary man. The Vaikuntha planets are predominated by expansions of Krishna who are differently named as Madhusudana, Madhava, Narayana, Pradumya, etc. These transcendental planets are worshipable because the Supreme Personality of Godhead personally rules them. It is said here that the sages reached the transcendental spiritual sky by dint of their mystic power. So that's their transportation. They don't have to go to the quick trip and buy gasoline for $1.99 a gallon or buy a car from the car dealer or a used car from Craigslist. But their method of transportation is mystic power. And by that mystic power, they can travel uh, to the spiritual realm before Kumaras. And that's pretty amazing. That's potent energy right there. 
That is the perfection of the yoga system. The breathing exercises and disciplines to keep health in proper order are not the ultimate goals of yoga perfection. Mm -mm. Although in its popular form yoga, people think it's for, you know, health reasons or, you know, they have their goals in yoga. They want to increase their sex life or become more adept, something like this. Or just to get good health. But generally, they want to be fit for sense gratification, which is the, not the purpose. The yoga system, as generally understood, is a stanga yoga, or siddhi, eightfold perfection in yoga. By dinner of perfection of yoga, one can become lighter than the lightest and heavier than the heaviest. One can go whatever, wherever he likes and achieve opulences as he likes. There are eight such perfections. The rishis, the four kumaras, reach Vaikuntha by becoming lighter than lightest and thus passing over the space of the material world. Modern mechanical space vehicles are unsuccessful because they cannot go to the highest region of this material creation, and they certainly cannot enter the spiritual sky. But by perfection of the yoga system, one not only can travel through material space, but can surpass material space and enter the spiritual sky. <clears throat> We learned this fact also from an incident concerning Durvas Muni and Maharaj Ambarish. It is understood that in one year, Durvasa Muni traveled everywhere and went into the spiritual sky to meet the Supreme Personality of Godhead, not Ayana. By present standards, scientists calculate that if one could travel at the speed of light, it would take 40,000 years to reach the highest planet of this material world. So there are things that are further than 40,000 light years. That's a short distance in the universe, according to the speculations of modern science. But even if one could travel at the speed of light, even if one could travel at warp speed, uh, still it would take 40,000 years to reach the highest planet. Now, who has time for that? Who has that kind of lifespan? Nobody in Kali Yuga, for sure. In, in the previous Sat Yuga, one could live for 100,000 years and perform meditation the whole time on Krishna. But uh, those days are not these days. But the yoga system can carry one without limitation or difficulty and is also instantaneous, by the way. The word yoga maya is used in this verse, yoga maya balena vikuntam, the transcendental happiness exhibited in the spiritual worlds, and all other spiritual manifestations there are made possible by the influence of yoga maya, the internal potency of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Who knows a verse in Bhagavad Gita that talks about great devotees being under the influence of yoga maya? I'm trying to remember the first line. <laughs> Those great devotees, their business is to take shelter not in the external material potency, but 
the internal potency of the Lord. Daivin means godly or spiritual potency. Daivin prakritim ashritaha, that's where they take shelter. We are conditioned souls and we have taken shelter of this material world. We have taken shelter here and therefore we're currently housed in this material body, which requires further shelter itself, uh, especially during the cold weather like we're having. But the great devotees are concerned with that shelter of the soul. Within their minds, manasa bhajantya ananya. They're engaged in the worship of Krishna. Gyatva bhuta dim Because they know. Gyatva, they know. Gyatva bhuta dim They know Krishna's transcendental position, his transcendental uh, supreme spiritual position which Prabhupada, from the beginning of his purport, he is very nicely glorified the Lord in his position. Uh, one without a second, above everyone. No one is equal to him. No one is greater. Therefore, he is the prime living entity of the material and spiritual creation. Muvanaika Vanyam, the only worshipable personality in the three worlds. So, ordinary people might not identify with or understand this type of philosophic language about God. Why? Because they're focused on other things. They have so much language to describe so much uh, material phenomena. Um, everything from scientific descriptions of the manifestations of nature to a very descriptive language about psychology and how one feels uh, within oneself. But in this type of philosophic and descriptive language is characteristic of Bhagavatam because Bhagavatam is meant for whom? Meant for the devotees. It's about Krishna. <laughs> and it's meant for the devotees who are um, characterized in the second, very second shloka of Bhagavatam. The first shloka of Bhagavatam glorifies Krishna himself. And the second shloka glorifies the Bhagavatam because, uh, because there is no quality of cheating religion there. And it's meant for those devotees who are pure in heart and nirmatsaranam uh, param. They are not envious of anyone. They're not envious of the Lord and they're not envious of anyone else. Um, there's so much strife, quarrel, and disagreement especially in this age, but in general in the material world, because of this power of envy that we suffer from or afflicted by, because we're conditioned souls. And the one quality or characteristic or nature of the conditioned soul is that he has become envious of Krishna's position as the supreme enjoyer. We say he is becoming, we, not he, we have become envious. So therefore, um, we desire to have Krishna's position as the supreme enjoyer. Like, why is Krishna getting all the glory? You know, what about me? I remember I was preaching to my father one time, <clears throat> trying to in subtle ways, because it couldn't just 
use philosophical and Sanskrit language with him because he wouldn't understand what, what was being said. Um, but I was explaining to him how the devotees, we sacrifice uh, our own personal comforts and pleasures to try to do some service to push on the Krishna consciousness movement. And he, he wasn't quite getting it. He was saying, well, what you should be doing, he's preaching back, uh, what you sh should be doing is, you know, doing all kinds of sacrifices and, and trying to attain things for yourself. What about you? You know, that is what your life is meant for. And I, I had to correct him. I said, actually, no. Actually, our life is meant, the perfection of our life is when we learn to serve God. When, we, when we're selfish and try to do everything for ourselves, uh, then we don't serve the Lord. And we also become envious of other people who are similarly competing for the same space, the same resources of the material nature, the same wealth and fame and profit and adoration and everything that the conditioned souls want. But that's what the mass of foolish people do. And those who are intelligent, if they're fortunate to get instruction and learn this great science of Krishna consciousness, then they learn the art uh, of yoga. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that yoga is the art of all work. So working, how to work perfectly in this life, in this world, to please Krishna, that is the real art of work. That is the real work. And that brings one a much higher satisfaction a much higher level of personal fulfillment and satisfaction than anything else, including even making all the money in the world. So he objected to that. <clears throat> and he said, he said, this is, it was a classic. I, I really doubt him on this. He said, he said, you're working so hard for someone else and they're making all the money. And I said, yeah, I know what you mean. I said, just like you. At that time, he was uh, an executive VP for um, the great American Express Corporation in New York City. This conversation was taking place in the village in Manhattan. I said, yeah, just like you, you're working maybe probably, you're an executive VP, you're not on an hourly salary, you don't check out at five o'clock. I said, you're probably working 60 hours a week. And, and um, even though they pay you a very nice salary, some hundred and something thousand dollars at one time. This is back in the 1980s when that was a lot. Now that's not as much as it used to be. And you're working so hard for someone else and, the, and, and out of your endeavors they're making millions of dollars because you're managing their data systems and everything you're doing is making them money. I said you're working so hard for someone else and they're making all the money. Which is what he just said to me. And then he looked at me and he said touche. <laughs> which is what you say to fencing when somebody gets you. You got me. He says, you got me, because he knows he's working hard for them, and they're exploiting him. And by his energies, he gets his salary and everything, a little prestige. But, but he's not making all the money. They're making all the money. So he's just the servant of someone else. So he was criticizing me for being the servant of someone else, but then he realizes he's the servant of someone else. And at that moment, he changed. He realized he was defeated. And he said, well, you know... He said, I'm glad you're in this Christian consciousness movement because 
actually, you're smart and you know what you're doing. So it's all right. From that moment on, he was good. No more criticism or argument. Later, he came to become very fond of Prashadam, actually. So um, the real goal of our life is not to work hard to please our senses or to please our family or those around us. Although, even in the life of devotee, naturally that happens, but it's on a different platform. It's on the platform and within the context of devotional service to Krishna. Of course, serving Krishna includes serving others, but it also means serving others. You don't say, well, I'm serving Krishna exclusively. You know, get your own, you know, whatever it is. Get your own glass of water. There was one instance where Srila Prabhupada in um, this just did something. The change screen just changed. So Sri Prabhupada was in New York City um, in 1965, beginning in 65, and before he had any real followers or any real success. And he was taking his books to different bookshops and they would put them in there on consignment. And then when they would sell the books, he would collect some money. Because he came from India with what? Nothing but 200 sets of Bhagavatams, first came out. 200 sets. So he was selling the sets, placing them. And there was one bookstore. He had placed it in the bookstore. And the lady, the bookstore proprietor, you know, she's like a jaded New Yorker. And, um, you know, Prabhupada asked her, can you please br bring me a glass of water? And so they interviewed her for the Lilamrita. And then later she said, anyone else, I would have said, there's the water cooler. You know, get it yourself. <laughs> What's the matter with you? I have to bring you your water too? But because Prabhupada was such a transcendental personality, she went and got him the water and didn't say a word, didn't complain. Uh, so in this way, he engaged her in some devotional service. Uh, but... We should be willing to serve others, especially the devotees, to serve them in various ways. That's part of what we do. We, we assist and serve each other. Uh, that is a symptom of love. When you have love, then you render service. I was trying to communicate this concept to our grandchildren. You know, when there's an exchange of love, you know, because we love you guys, okay, we serve you, we help you, we do stuff for you. But then we expect you also to do some service too. Not just sit back and like, you know, bring on the service. <laughs> this is great, serve me more. I want this, I want that, bring this. Need some money, take me here. Yeah, life's good. But, and young people will naturally be like that. But then they have to learn also that that love means to offer service in reciprocation. But then selfless love means we offer service and we don't expect anything in return. But then it's very pleasing when there is reciprocation also. That's mentioned in the Nectar of Instruction that there are six loving exchanges. There's exchanges of love, um, offering prasadam, accepting prasadam, Offering gifts in charity, accepting gifts in return, uh, <coughs> revealing one's mind, 
in confidence, and then hearing the other person revealing their mind in confidence. These are loving exchanges. They're exchanges, it's service that are uh, shared and experienced by devotees with each other. And without these kind of exchanges, then our, our life together communally would be very dry. And no one wants a very dry life. Very dry, like some old British lord, very dry. So that kind of life is not desirable. And, but the life of Krishna consciousness is desirable and is full of loving exchanges. full of these mellows that are experienced, this bhava, in Krishna consciousness. Because we are spiritual beings, anandamaya vyasat, and we do, um, we do wish to have love. Because that is our nature, as we mentioned last week in the Valentine's class, the nature of loving exchanges, that we're creatures of love. So um, that is our... Our, the very heart of our existence involves love. Of course, primarily, the most important thing, we, we learn to love Krishna, we learn to love the spiritual master by following the Guru's instructions, and Krishna is the Supreme Guru. We learn to love him by surrendering, surrendering one's self to Krishna. That is an act of love. We don't surrender out of like hatred or disgust or anger or just sheer frustration. Although sheer frustration is a impetus for wanting to become free from the material conditions of life and experience something better. That's all right. If it leads us to Krishna consciousness, that's good stuff. It's a, it's a stepping stone. So, um, this feeling, this sense of Krishna consciousness includes learning to love Krishna, learning to love one another and serve one another and help one another and be friendly towards one another um, as far as possible as far as we're capable. Some persons are more capable, have a greater capacity for love due to their expanding consciousness than others. But regardless, whether one is the you know, brand new bhakta or the grizzled old veteran devotee, whatever, uh, the principle is there of learning to love, uh, learning to loosen up our selfish grip on ourselves and give the self to Krishna and serve others. And not only the devotees, but actually we also are meant to serve everyone. And that is at the very heart of the Krishna consciousness movement, is to serve others by expanding the Krishna consciousness movement into their hearts. Even um, here our restaurant while an ordinary materialist might think, well, this is just some business, they sell some food, that it's way beyond that. There's a principle of mercy involved.
to give prashadam to people. And then, because we're merciful, we let them pay for it too and facilitate the whole thing. That's also mercy. So we don't let them get away with like cheating. You know, some people come here and try to cheat. Like the one time I uh, got a call from Kirtan was at the cash register. There was a guy and a girl out on the patio. The girl came in and bought lunch. And the guy just sat out there. And then she went out with her lunch and then he just ate off for her plate. So it was like two for one. So that's cheating. So we don't allow that. But she was not a very nice person anyway, obviously, as evidenced by her cheating mentality. And even before that, she was criticizing Kirtan. What is your name? I'm going to write a review on Google. So I got called into the situation. And I went out to speak to them. And so I said, first thing I said, I said, what is all this? <laughs> this is clear, you know, he's sitting there. Eating off the plate. I said, you know, it's all you can eat. But it's not all that everybody can eat for the price of one person. It's all you can eat each person. You have to pay. That's the system. And then you're sitting out here and not going inside. And you're just eating on your plate. Well, that's just cheating. And you're facilitating him. So that is cheating. We, we don't allow that. That is not allowed. And she was all angry and uppity and in my face. And she was <clears throat> spewing forth a few expletives and such things. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> You, you're gone. We don't allow this type of behavior here. And I was trying to give you a chance to you know, pay, pay for the other guy and let him eat. But since you're so vertuperative and uncooperative and offensive, you leave now and never come back. Well, they had to leave. She was, I'm going to write a review on Google. Like, you know, go ahead. I don't care what you do, as long as you don't come back, we're happy. But that's not normal. That's, you know, exceptional that someone would be that much of a rascal. So we have to politely explain to them that don't be a rascal. Like one time there was a lady in there, and at that night there was pakoras, and she like got all these pakoras, like about 15 or 16 pakoras. And it was on a Saturday night, Gino was the cashier. So I was like, I, I said, she's gonna, I said to Gino, she's gonna eat all those macaros? But uh, no, her plan was to take them home. So she had all those macaros, but you know, it's, it's all you can eat. It's not all you can take home. So all you can eat means while you're here, you're paying whatever you eat. You know, sometimes you see people come and they'll stay for three hours and they'll load up the plate 10 times. And, you know, that's like the the nightmare at nightmare on Blackledge, you know, when somebody comes in and they can eat like as much as ten people. <laughs> and get their money's worth <laughs> for sure. So um Gino Gino finally, you know, he went over to her and he said, uh, he said, Do you plan on eating all of those? And she said, Oh no, I couldn't eat all those. I was gonna take them home. He said, oh, we don't allow that. And he just took the plate from her. <laughs> went back and took one. Oh she was... <laughs> she didn't understand the principle. Or acted like she didn't understand the principle. So anyway, these things are going on. So if you see these things going on, you can tell. 
you don't want to do with the person you can tell someone. And ultimately, you know, I'm the bad cop, so <laughs> get me or call me, I'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. Although Sadani always explains to me to try not to offend anyone. And we don't want to offend anyone, but if they are offensive, uh oh, look out. All right, so there is a mention in this floka of the mystic perfections. Prabhupada mentions the eight mystic cities here in the purport. Ashtanga Yoga, or perfection, eightfold perfection. So there are various lists of different types of perfections in various places in the Shastra. Uh, and the classical uh, list of the Eightfold Cities, would everyone like to hear these perfections? Because I have them here. Anima, to be able to reduce oneself to the size of an atom. So if you, if you can do anima, you can go under any door or you know, into a bank vault or anywhere. You, you, there's no restriction on where you can go. Um, mahima means you can become very big, very expansive. Gadima means you can become really heavy. And that doesn't mean like really tough, heavy, but like super dense. And lagima is the opposite of that, it means you become super light. And Prabhupada says that the, by lagima, um, the four Kumaras, by becoming very lightweight, they're able to rise up to Vaikuntha. That's what it says in the purple. Pretty cool, huh? By the way, before I forget to mention this, um, this whole description of the kingdom of God, now we introduce the four Kumaras coming into the kingdom of God, and this is the description of the whole pastimes of how they got cursed. I mean, how they cursed the gatekeepers. Jai and Vijay, or Vaikuntha, and then how they came down to the material world and engaged in their pastimes of fighting with the Lord. Uh, this is that this is that whole prelude to that whole story. So this is what's going on here in this section of Bhagavata. But it's nice because this before we get to the story, there's this whole all these verses of description of the glories of Vaikuntha, which are wonderful. And it kind of culminates in this verse here, and then the introduction of the four Kumaras going to the spiritual world and then being prevented from entering by the gatekeepers. All right, so prapti. Prapti means you can reach out and acquire everything. Prapti means to have something. We say, we use this word every day. Krishna prapti hoy jaha hoyte. Because Krishna prapti, the spiritual master, he has Krishna. Krishna Prapti. So, I mean, he has Krishna, that means he can give Krishna. He knows how to give you Krishna because he has Krishna. Captured in his heart and because by service. So, Prapti. Uh, Prabhupada told one story that when he was young, his father would invite different sadhus every day for lunch to the house. Um, and he found various different sadhus. Prabhupada said most of them were bogus. But he heard one story of a, uh, <coughs> there was a guru who had this prapti city. 
He had mystic powers. He said, I can get you anything you want. So um, the person said, oh, okay, I would like fresh pomegranates from Afghanistan. Apparently the pomegranates are very nice in Afghanistan. We have a couple of pomegranate trees here. Um, so he said, go in the next room. He went in the next room, and there was a branch fresh off of a tree full of pomegranates from Afghanistan. Because he could just reach out and take those. And he had a property. That's called property city. That is the ultimate bank robber's perfection. You know? How much do you need? $100,000? Go in the next room. There it is. We do not know anyone like this. Except for maybe Joy. <laughs> so, uh, that's prapti. Then there's prakamya. Prakamya means, kama means desire. Prakamya means you can fulfill any desire you want. Just by wanting it, you can immediately fulfill it. That's an amazing city. Sometimes we see Sankirtan devotees have that, prakamya. They go out, like uh, Prangalas was here. He had that prakamya. He'd go out, everybody takes a book, everybody gives a donation. Boom, 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 boom. A couple hours, we get a big collection. Give you a bunch of books. Prakamya. Uh, Itsiva means that one has supremacy over nature. One can control material nature. And it's similar also to the next one. Vasitva uh, also means controlling nature. So there are different ways one can control nature. You can make it rain, you can make the sun come out, you can create a planet. It is amazing mystic powers. Those are the results. But a pure devotee of Krishna has all these things at his disposal, but he doesn't exhibit them. He works as if he's an ordinary person. And then, but Krishna supplies everything, like the miracle of Srila Prabhupada spreading Krishna consciousness all over the world. Prabhupada worked like an ordinary person, translating, preaching, writing, organizing. But look at the miraculous results. That's he's empowered by Krishna. That's mentioned. Uh, <clears throat> in the Chaitanya Charitamrita by uh, is that Acharya of the uh, the Gujarati Acharya that wrote the commentary on Bhagavatam said my commentary has surpassed uh, Lord Jai, surpassed Sridhar Swami's what's his name? You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, he associated with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and he, he said um the Sampradaya, Gujarati. Nobody knows. He said, Kali Karadama Krishna Nam Sankirtan, Krishna Shakti Vinanahi, Tarvajana. He said, Kali Kalara Dharma, Krishna Nam Sankirtan, the religious principle in this age is the Sankirtan movement, the chanting of Hare Krishna. Krishna Shakti Vinanahi, Tarvajana. No one can spread the Hare Krishna movement without being Krishna Shakti empowered by Krishna's potency. Uh, his name is on the tip of my tongue. Lalabhacharya, that's his name. Lalabhacharya. 20 years ago, something like that. <clears throat> so Lalabhacharya, there was this whole pastime with him and Lord Chaitanya. And then he finally realized Lord Chaitanya's position. Uh, so that's what he said. Krishna Shakti Vinanahitarva. So in the Bhagavatam, there is also a list of five cities 
given as knowing past, present, and future. It's called tree colored gown. Who's an example of someone who's tree colored gown? Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Who's another example? Bhakti Vinod Thakur. And another example? Yasadev, compiler of the Srimad Bhagavatam and all the Vedic literatures. He could see past, present, and future. He was meditating. He saw the future of Kali. He was like, hmm, uh, what to do? Well, give Srimad Bhagavatam. And people who are in the dense darkness in Kali Yuga will get light from this brilliant Purana Bhagavatam when all other religion is lost. So that's Trikalagya. Another one is the ability to tolerate heat and cold. This is one I have not mastered. <coughs> Would be nice. Of course, modern man, we've mastered the ability to tolerate heat and cold by creating. Uh, climate control systems. <laughs> that part I know. Another one of the cities mentioned is being able to understand the mind of others. Um, and this is something that Prabhupada exhibited. Um, people report that when Prabhupada looked at them, he knew everything. They immediately understood. He saw right through them. He knew everything about them. Immediately, he understood their past lives, their psychic condition, and so he could read minds. Um, another one of these cities, number four, checking the influence of the fire, sun, water, and poison. Who is a classic example of someone who could check the influence of poison? Yes, Lord Shiva, who drank the. Therefore, he became Nilakanta, blue-throated one, because of drinking the poison from the turning of the ocean. And who else? Prahlad Maharaj. Tried to poison him, didn't work. So he had that perfection. And then, remaining unconquered by others. So this is what every military commander and king wishes the city they had, that no one can conquer. So those are perfections. And then there are 10 secondary cities that are mentioned by Krishna in the 11th canto in the Uddhava Gita. Uh, one who has these secondary cities is undisturbed by hunger, thirst, or bodily necessities. And you can hear things from far away. That means you don't need one of those big ear listening devices that they have on the TV commercials where you, know, you can hear somebody gossiping about you across the room at the party. You know, they have that little thing. But... Um, or you can hear the birds in nature. So uh, one who has this perfection can hear a conversation going on on the other side of the world if they so desire, or on another planet. And also, uh, similar to that, is being able to see things from very far away, like having that type of long-range vision. Um, another perfection, being able to move the body to wherever one desires. It means Prabhupada talks about the yogis who go down in the river, they take a bath in one river and they come up in another river. And that's how they travel. A lot of these ancient yogis will go to Kumbha Mela. They may be up in the Himalayas somewhere, they go down in the river and they come up at the tree Rami. And they go to the festival, and when they're done, they go back in the river, they come back up in the Himalayas. Pretty amazing, huh? And these are not fantasies, these are actual things. 
actual realities. Um, one can assume any form they desire. What's an example of someone who could do that? Putana, the classic example. A nasty old demon, and she appears as a very beautiful young lady. She was so beautiful that when she went to see Krishna, that all the people in the house were like, yeah, here's a handsome lady. This gorgeous woman. Like, look how beautiful, wonderful she is. Well, she was actually a wolf in sheep's clothing. And a lot of the demons that came to Krishna's pastimes would have changed their form. But then Krishna would have killed them and their form would be revealed. Uh, another perfection is that one can desire, one can leave his body whenever he desires. Who's the classic example of that? Bijma. Grandfather Bhishma, who lay on the bed of arrows and waited till the sun was just at the right place in the sky. Um, and it was the right, perfect, auspicious time, and Krishna was there. Then he left by his own choice. That was the benediction he was given. Um, another one of these perfections, one can participate and witness in pastimes of the gods. Uh, number nine, one can accomplish whatever one desires. So that means that whatever one wants to accomplish, one can accomplish, and nothing can stop that. That's what Srila Prabhupada was like. He wanted to spread Krishna consciousness all over the world, following Bhakti Siddhanta's order, nothing stopped him. He was unimpeded in achieving his goals. But he was also powered by, as we said earlier, Krishna Shakti. And then number 10, one's commands or orders are never impeded. This is every temple president's dream mystic city. <clears throat> that whatever one says, Prabhu, please wash the pots and have them done in the next half hour. So three hours later, the pots are still there. I was tired. I had to go take baths. My mind didn't. You know, I didn't finish my rounds. And, you know, I was all in anxiety about this and that. And I didn't do my service. So, so the, this is the temple president's dream city. Whatever one commands, it will be carried out unimpeded. There are no obstacles. So, very nice perfection. All right, we'll stop here. Questions, comments, realizations? Prabhupada did have some setbacks, though, before he came to the U.S. Apparent uh, setbacks. Right. I mean, but things, what I'm saying, the things that, like, he set out to do the League of Devotees, he set out to do several things. That he struggled mightily. This is all Krishna's arrangement to glorify him. Um, I told this before the story, that when the devotees went to Dr. Mishra's Ananda Ashram uh, in 1966, and they went for a little country visit. To Dr. Mishra had a property upstate New York. And Hayagriva was sleeping out on the, by the lake along with some other devotees. And he had this dream that there was this beautiful, golden, effulgent personality, so beautiful, so attractive, so effulgent. And then he realized it was Srila Prabhupada. And he said, why don't you manifest this form? This is your real form, your spiritual form. Why don't you manifest that? Because you're coming to us as a 70-year-old man in ill health. Prabhupada said, if I, if I did like this, then no one would follow me for my teachings. They would just follow me for my beauty. Therefore, he came as an old man. But people followed him for his teachings, 
for the spiritual knowledge, uh, for the Krishna consciousness he was giving. Not because he happened to be like, you know, so beautiful and unimaginably fantastic. No. So, um, it was all Krishna's lila to glorify Srila Prabhupada. And he, but he struggled, but he never gave up. He never said, oh, this is too hard to preach. I'm just going to go back to my room and bring Dhamma and forget it. No. And he was, he was an old man. Anybody else would have given up long ago. He kept on, he kept on till his <laughs> last breath. So that is very glorious. That shows the glory of the, and determination of the Mahabhagavad devotee. Nothing impedes his devotional service. There are no impediments. He just depends on Krishna only. Anyone else? Yes. And then also his struggles were an inspiration to us. I remember reading before he came to India, he was trying to distribute his books through the magazine he had to go through the teaching magazine. And people shoo him away. And I was just like, oh, I can't believe it. You know, they would shoot Prabhupada away. It was just shocking. And it was an inspiration that we should. Yeah, get out of here. We don't want that. Yeah. We've experienced that. We don't want you guys here. Get out of here. I'm calling the police. All right. Thank you very much. Gina Prabhupada.